The series of messages that I've been in is, um, I entitled it Boundaries, and it, it started whenever Chris and I were at the ocean, and I was looking at the water, that very old water, that has certain boundaries. It is set by the land masses in which it is between, or, uh, that are surrounding it. And then I got to thinking about boundaries, and they're called by many names. We have boundaries that are called guidelines. We have boundaries that are fences. We have boundaries that are borders or guardrails. We have boundaries that are shores. We have boundaries that are called limits or rules, procedures, laws, and more. And some of the boundaries are natural, like the shores of a river or a creek or an ocean. And when rivers and creeks move beyond the boundaries, we call it a flood. When the ocean moves beyond its boundaries, we call it a tsunami. And, of course, flooding occurs. And as I was preparing this message, I got to thinking, we're in a time of flooding right now. We're being flooded. The whole world is being flooded. Not with water, but with evil. We're flooded with this tsunami of evil. It's washing over the world. And those who happen to be of God, those who follow the Christ, the Messiah, the one we call Jesus, Yahashua, those of us who are walking on God's path are being assaulted with this evil on all sides. It's unmistakable. If you're not, then I have to question whether or not you are God's. What we're seeing is not unprecedented. In fact, it's happened before. The Scriptures warn of this flood that we're in. The Scriptures also warn of another flood, a flood of fire. We're going to open our Bibles to the third chapter of Peter's second letter, and uh, you'll find that on page 1863 on those Bibles in your seats there if you'd like to look in the Bible. We're also going to have it up on the screen. But before we go there, I want us to pray. God, You are the searcher of all hearts. Father, I yield to You for Your use. I'm called by Your name. You are my Lord. You are the God of hosts. Please give me unction to speak only what you want us to hear. I pray in Christ's name that you would use me, Lord, to glorify yourself. That all who are within the sound of my voice, whether now or by some recorded means later, that all who are within the sound of my voice would be filled with your word and it would do what you have purposed for it to do, that it would not return to you void as it is written. I pray in Christ's name, and all of God's people said, amen. Again, page 1863, if you're opening the Bible. And find that right after James, before John. Peter chapter 3, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 1. We're not going to exposit the entire chapter. We're going to break this into two messages. 
Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all, who? All. all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some are hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I ask that God would add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word, and I trust that He will open our hearts to receive it. There's a lot in that chapter. That was a wrap-up to two epistles that Peter wrote. He connected the times past to things at that time which were present and also to the future. He said, these things, and these things, and these things are all connected. In the first two verses, he states his purpose in writing his epistles. He encourages the readers to do some honest thinking. Think about these things, he said. He wants the readers, whomever that is, and today it's us, to think about what he's writing. 
He wants us to remember what God's prophets said would happen and never forget what they taught. And there are those today who decry the Old Testament and say, that's not for us. But God's Word decries them. These things that he's pointing to, this is Peter in the New Testament, he's pointing to things that were written in what we call the Old Testament. He also instructs the readers and hearers to remember what the apostles said our Lord and Savior taught. And Peter's doing exactly that. Our Lord said, teach them everything that I taught you. And this is what Peter's doing. And this is what all of us are called to do, including yours truly. Not just some, not just the part that feels good. We don't cut out pages, and we certainly don't cut out whole books of the Bible. We don't cut out whole epistles because we don't like the author, or we don't like what that author stood for, or what their background was, or because their writings don't agree with what we believe, or what we understand, or what we want. But there are those who do that today within the body of Christ, and sometimes we've got to call them out. Sometimes we just have to resist the devil, and he flees. And you see, what we find in the Scriptures are biblical boundaries for all of us to live by. They're for our guidance. They're like handrails on a cliffside walkway. Now, Bob and Judy have been in some pretty scary places. They've explained to me about some of these narrow paths that they've been on, just wide enough for one vehicle in the mountains in, was it Costa Rica? Some of the other areas that they've visited. You think about that handrail when you're walking along this narrow path and there's a handrail, a guide rail, something just to kind of keep you from going over the cliff. You could ignore it, right? You could go past that guide rail. You could walk past the handrail and say, nope, that's not for me. I'm not going to stay on this path. I'm going to do it my way and you'll suffer the consequences. See, and these biblical boundaries are like those handrails on the cliffside walkways to keep you upright, most especially in the eyes of the Lord. You can ignore them, but doing so places you in grave danger. In verse 3, Peter foretells the time when people will become absolutely selfish, concerned only for their own desires. We see that most especially with the, the whole selfie thing these days. They're going to be absolutely selfish. And these people will be disrespectful. They will scoff. They will scoff about Christ's promise to return. They're only concerned about their own desires, and they say, oh, come on, where's he at? He said he's coming back. Everything's just the way it always has been. Things aren't changing. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what the Scripture says. That's true. Nothing new. It's written in the 24th chapter of Matthew's gospel record that our Lord said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day of 
Noah entered the ark, and they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. See, when He returns, it's not like He's going to send out an announcement saying, hey, everybody, come on, get ready. The announcements are happening now. They're called the signs of the times. We covered a few of those in the previous series of messages. Everything was going along just as it always had. It was business as usual. Everybody was content to just live the way they were. And there was this crazy guy, Noah, for 120 years saying, Repent! Turn to the Lord or you'll be destroyed! And the people said, Ha ha, look at this guy. What a joke. 120 years. I don't have 120 years. I preach the righteousness of Christ. I preach the gospel, the good news, the grace of God that turns us from sin. Peter tells us they will mock Christ's return because they willfully forget the truth of God's creation and destruction of this planet. They willfully choose not to pay attention to that. It's as if it never happened to them. They don't care. It doesn't matter to them. It's as if they are walking on their own path, and they say, where's he at? He's not coming. God didn't destroy the world before. I've heard people say there was no great flood. God's Word said there was. The earth came out of water, and it was made from water, and later God destroyed it with the waters of a mighty flood. This is what he says in his word. I take him at his word, and I trust him. I believe that what he says is true, whether I have all the details or not. Whether or not I can tell exactly how that happened, it doesn't matter to me. His word is true. But then in verse 7, Peter gives a dire prediction. God is preserving the present heavens and earth to remain until the day of judgment. And then He will set everything on fire, and the ungodly will be destroyed. Because you have godly people and you have ungodly people. Those who are walking by what God lays out as the way of Christ, that narrow way, we recognize when someone else isn't. We have people sometimes in this congregation who are not walking on the path of Christ. But they'll sit in these pews with the rest of us. They'll praise God. They'll clap their hands. They'll yell and shout. They will do everything that makes them look like they're believers. They may even think they are. But God says He's going to destroy the ungodly. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it is written, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. Now this is saying when Christ returns, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. See, believers are going to be the glory 
of Christ. And unbelievers are going to be destroyed. That's what God's Word says when Christ returns. There is judgment coming to this earth. All of that flood of ungodliness is going to be burned up in a fire. The mockers say, I thought he's coming back. Where is he at? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 7 it is written, He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. He's not going to tell us. And Peter goes on to say, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In other words, with God there is no time. There is no time. He's coming back. He said so. And we need to be watchful. For his return. In fact, that idea, I did a whole series of messages about 10 years ago on being watchful. We might revisit that at some point. In Psalm 90 and verse 4, it tells us a thousand years in, this, in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Well, God, there's no time. So he's not waiting for Christ to come back, although we say he's long suffering, he's enduring. The evil of the world, to him it's just... James chapter 4, verse 14 is where we hear this, you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We don't have eternal life on this earth, it's not promised to us here. Our eternal life is with God in glory, and we don't have the full picture of what that means or what it looks like, folks, and I can't tell you. Here's the picture. Go watch it. Go look at the movie. It'll tell you all about it. No. You can read every bit of God's Word, and it doesn't give you every detail of what it gives us. Many details, but not every detail of what it's like to be with God forever and ever. It does give us some graphic details of what it means to not be with God forever and ever. We're not going to get into that, but it is written. Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44 is where we hear this, watch therefore, this is our Lord speaking, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. You are not going to expect when he arrives. It's not like you're going to be sitting there saying, okay, here he comes, the clock is ticking, Jesus is... No. Watch, therefore. It's written in Matthew 25. This is Christ again. This is the second testimony, the second witness. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And anybody tells you they do know, they're mistaken, or they're liars, because nobody knows. I remember... Back whenever we were doing that series of messages, there was a fellow by the name of Harold Camping, I believe was his last name, who predicted Jesus was coming on this day. I preached a message on the Sunday before that, and I said, well, either I'm going to be here alone next week or this guy's wrong. We were all still here. That man's since gone on to be wherever it is the Lord has put him. 
to his eternal rewards. In Mark chapter 13, it is written, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Who knows? The Father knows. Does the Son know? No. Does the Holy Spirit know? Is the Holy Spirit going to whisper in your ear and say, Jesus is coming tomorrow, get ready? No. No one knows but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants. Do you get that? We are his servants who received that authority, the authority that was delegated to him from God the Father. He received all authority in heaven and earth. He delegated that authority to his apostles. They further delegated it down. We are his servants who have received that authority, okay? He's talking about us. Gave authority to his servants and to each his work. Do we have work to do? Absolutely. And commanded the doorkeeper to watch Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all. Think about the ten virgins. They were all virgins. Five of them were wise, and five of them were otherwise. In fact, the Scripture calls them foolish. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it is written, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And then our Lord gives His message to the church in Sardis. When you look in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, He speaks to the seven churches of Asia. And to the church in Sardis, He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, this is Christ speaking to the church. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Do you hear the consistency in the message? There is nothing that detracts from it. He says, I'm coming like a thief. In other words, I'm not going to announce my coming. I'm not sneaking in to get you. It's going to be a blaze of glory, okay? Fire with His heavenly hosts. We are going to see Him return. The whole world is, the Scripture tells us. What does it mean to be watchful? Well, He touched on it right there. Remember how you've received and hold, uh, heard. Hold fast and repent. And we could do a whole entire series on being watchful. In fact, as I said, I already have. But repentance is a part of being and remaining watchful. In other words, we're not out willfully, deliberately going against God's Word. Peter, if we go on in in, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some can count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And there are those of our brothers and sisters who say that God created some people to destroy them. And Peter says that's not true. Jesus preached repentance. He sent His followers out to preach repentance. His apostles preached repentance. And they taught us to do the same. But we have people today, as my friend Tom, Tommy Bowser, he sat here one Sunday, a few, well, it's probably been a year ago or more, uh, but just recently he made a Facebook post. And he was asking a question. 
He didn't understand why people would stand on the platform of inclusiveness almost and almost to the point of encouraging people to sin. Because we want to include everybody, right? We've got to include everybody. Jesus loves you just the way you are. That's the message out in the world today. But He loves you too much to leave you there. And that's the part they're leaving out. Oh yeah, He loves you right where you are. But He wants to bring you up out of it. He's not leaving you in the prison of sin. He's releasing you from it. He's setting you free. And that is His work. Tom recently pointed that out. But I want you to remember, God is not mocked. It's written in Galatians 6 and verse 7. Whatever we sow is what we reap, and sin is paid for. We receive wages for sin, and that, those wages are death. God's not mocked. If we sow, we plant sin, we reap death. That's what the Word says. Galatians 6, 8 tells us if you sow to your flesh, you will from the flesh reap corruption, but those who sow to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Just the truth of God's Word. So when we think of this flood of evil that's coming over the world, we don't need to be concerned about it. Yes, keep yourself safe. In one place, the Lord says if you have a tunic or an overcoat, but you don't have a a sword, or we might say in today's uh, language, a a weapon of protection of some sort, sell the coat, get a sword. That's in Luke's gospel record. Others are quick to condemn those who would dare to speak the truth of Scripture when it condemns sin. I preach the Word. There are some parts of the Bible now that are outlawed in places in the world. You're not allowed to preach them. And in this country, it's getting to the place where you're going to be told you can't. You can't preach that. After all, it offends people. But you know, on two occasions, our Lord said, sin no more. John chapter 5 and verse 14 Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. This was a guy that he had healed. The guy was a beggar. And then he found him back in the temple. And my guess is, it's not written, but it's implied that the guy was begging again, pretending he was still blind. And Jesus said, see, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, that's the thing a lot of people don't want to preach anymore. Okay? When he brings you out of that prison of sin, he says, don't go back. You know, there's a passage of Scripture where he teaches about the demons. He says the house has been swept clean. The demon goes out looking for another place to dwell. And he comes back and says, hey, wait a minute. This place is clean. Come on, guys. Brings a gang back with him. And the worst, end of that, the worst thing about that is the individual now is worse off than they were when they started. They were delivered. But they went back into it. And that's a sad reality. I've seen that in the body of Christ. I have seen people who were set free, and they went back into their sin, and their, worst, their, their, their end was worse than the beginning. Another occasion was in John chapter 8 and verse 11. There was a woman who was caught in adultery, and she was condemned by the religious leaders at that time. One of them was probably the guy that was with her. 
okay, because we don't hear any mention of him. And Jesus says, okay, you who's without sin, you cast the first stone. And he writes on the ground. He's probably writing their sins, you know. It's a guess anyway. And uh, she, he stands up and he says, woman, where's your accusers? And she says, I don't know. And he says, neither do I condemn you. He said, Who's where are your accusers? She said, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say go sin it up. I heard a preacher say that once, and it just stuck. It stuck in me, and I repeated over you. Some of you probably heard me say it before. I sat and heard the man with my own ears. So jump in your daddy's lap, tell him you're sorry, and go out and sin it up, because he'll forgive you every time. That's not what God's Word says. That's not what Christ said. Not the Christ that I follow. The Christ that I follow, the Messiah of God, he said, go and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. That's the testimony of two witnesses, too, by the way, out of the mouth of Christ. You've been made well. Don't go back to sinning. That's what he says. But those who condone sinning willfully ignore the words of Christ. You see, there is evil all over the world. This flood of evil is infiltrating the church. It has been for a very long time. It's written, by their fruit you shall know them. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. And it's referring to the behavior, the actions, the conduct, the way that we live our lives. It reveals who we are. We're either a good tree or a bad tree. There's no like middle tree, right? Half good, half bad. It's not what he says. And if we go into Luke chapter 6 and verse 44, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Does that mean that a branch doesn't get a little bit uh, messed up once in a while, or maybe a piece of fruit falls off? Does that mean that some moths don't get in there and cause a little damage, and then you've got to get it fixed? No, that's not what it means. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. You reach into your life. I don't know your lives. And I'm glad I don't because if I were preaching something like this and it applied to you, you might think that I was preaching to you. I'm not deliberately picking anybody out of the crowd here, okay, folks? But I have to preach the Word of God as it's written. And we have to remember, He chastises those who are His. It is written, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. Did I put that one in there? Yes, I did. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as a father, the son in whom He delights. The Lord loves you, He corrects you. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. That is a quote when it's in bold like that from the New King James Version. It's quoting the Old Testament. And those who say we don't go by the Old Testament say, well, that doesn't matter that they're quoting the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, we hear this, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We are trained by the chastening of the Lord. I have been chastened. Many times, I lived outside of the will of God. 
And he chastened me. He let me know I was his. Oh, yeah. No chastening felt good at the time. All right, I don't know about you. My dad was a man that had, he had quick hands. And he always wore a belt until he didn't. And when he didn't, it was on you. And it wasn't wrapped around your drawers. It was wrapped around your backside. And if you ran, it was on your arm or your leg or wherever he could catch. Now, there are those who call that abuse today. But the chastening of my dad kept me straight, at least for a time. And there's no chastening that we enjoy. But if you're not chastened, you've got to question whether or not you're a child of the Lord. You have to question that because he chastens those whom he loves. In Psalm 119 and 165, it's written, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. We don't go back to our sin if, in fact, we embrace God's Word. If we embrace God's Word, we are not going to return to our sin. We're going to flee it. We're going to run from it. We're going to resist the temptation. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, not run off and do whatever it is that I used to do. In James chapter 3, it's written, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, righteousness is the call of saints. It is what God wants for His people. He wants us to live righteous lives. He doesn't want us to live all week long in sin and then pop our heads up in this building and say, look at me, I'm a believer. That's not what he wants. In fact, the people that did that in the time of Christ, he called them hypocrites. He called them children of the devil. He, he called them snakes, vipers, den of thieves, whitewashed tombs. This is Jesus, the one who loves everybody. Now, the other side of repentance is deliberate sinning. Either you are not sinning deliberately, willfully, you are turning to God, okay, I slipped. God, I made a mistake. Please help me not to do that again. Repentance, ongoing repentance. An old Baptist preacher friend of mine, he said, John, you've got to learn to keep a short sin account. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you mess up, you go to God. Tell Him you're sorry. Repent. But the other side of repentance is deliberate sinning, choosing to sin willfully, even though we have learned the truth. Now, that could just be my opinion, right? I mean, if you've never heard it preached, you might think, well, the pastor's wrong on that one. Well, let me tell you, it's written in Hebrews chapter 10, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So those who are willfully sinning are now put into the category of adversaries. That's what God's Word says. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's not a good thing. We don't want anybody to die. The wages of sin is death. Okay. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will they be thought worthy who have trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? 
For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Nobody likes to preach that anymore. After all, we're saved by grace, not by works. You have nothing to do. Just sit on your hands and wait for Jesus to come back and save you, right? That's not what's written, folks. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember what's written in Peter's second epistle. We read the third chapter back in the second chapter. Peter says these are wells. He's speaking of those who are false prophets, false teachers, telling people they can go on sinning. They're wells without water, carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. And there's another passage of Scripture which I didn't bring in. It talks about we are slaves to sin when we are in sin. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. It'd be better, he says, that they wouldn't have learned the truth than to learn it and go back to where they came from. Why would he say that if it wasn't true? Why would he say there remains no more sacrifice? If we go on sinning willfully, there is no sacrifice. You are not covered. And God wants you to know that because there is this voice in the world right now that's being driven by evil that says you can do whatever you want because you said a little prayer. Because somebody told you you could. But Galatians chapter 5 is where we hear the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. All these things are great things. But then there's that one that we don't like to hear about, self-control. Self-control, temperance. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we hear this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, self-controlled. In all things, not just in some things, in all things, we are self-controlled. And where do we get the strength to control ourselves? God, through His Holy Spirit, He gives us the power to say no, to resist the temptation, to resist the devil, to turn our back on sin, to walk on His path of righteousness. Now, do they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Now, as Peter continues, 
He reminds readers that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Is there any question that the world is going to be flooded with fire? It's going to be burned up, not just this earth, but the heavens above us. Everything's going to be burned up. Now, we don't know what that looks like exactly. All we know is that it's going to happen. could happen by any number of ways, but it most definitely is going to happen. Our Lord repeatedly said He's coming as a thief. He's not going to send out a warning in advance, except as is already written. It's already here. We have it. It's right there in that book that we call the Holy Bible, God's Word, the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures. Whatever words you use to describe it, it is God's Word, and it tells us in advance that He's coming. Now, there are those who will scoff and say, nah, He's not coming. He said He was coming, but where has He been? It's been thousands of years. He hasn't come back. So if a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, it's only been a couple days in God's sight. He also warned His followers not to heed those who say He has come or that He's coming. You give them a date, you know. Many false prophets will rise in the last days. And you know, when I was studying for this message, I was remembering the false prophets, okay? We had to encounter some false prophets in this congregation last year. And I remembered the false prophecies. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. This is going to happen. None of it happened. None of it came to pass. And then I found the Scripture, which I did not put in my notes, but I, I should have. It says, if the false prophets speak out, I think it's Isaiah or Ezekiel. Ezekiel. He said, the false prophets speak of false prophecies. God says, I gave him that to, to say. So you'd know he's a false prophet. I said, whoa, praise the Lord. Now I know how it happened. God gave, oh, I know, I heard from the Lord. The Lord told me to say this. I had one so-called prophet tell me. And when she did, I said, okay, well, you know, I've never gotten it wrong. I said, well, you got it wrong on this one, honey. You missed the mark. But God gave her that to say. God showed the falseness. His return and the destruction of this world is as certain as the fact that you are hearing me speak right now. He says it. He's going to do it. And we need to be watchful. In Psalm chapter 50, it is written, Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before Him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around Him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that He may judge His people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. And what is our sacrifice today? Christ is our sacrifice, but He tells us to pick up our cross. We are to make ourselves sacrificed unto Him. We give our lives. We dedicate our lives. We devote ourselves to God. That's what He says. Maybe not what somebody else has told you, but that's what He says. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it's written in verse 24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He doesn't want you to have any other gods before you. It doesn't matter what you say you love. 
When you say, I love my, I love this, I love that, think about what you're saying, folks, because God doesn't want any gods before Him. You know, I've heard people say, oh, I love my pot. I got to have my pot. Not picking on anybody, okay? I know there's people that use medical marijuana, and I'm all for that. It works. I know that. But God doesn't say smoke it. He just doesn't. There's no word in his word that says it's okay. But I have people that, uh, oh, I, I smoke every day, morning, noon, and night. And I said, well, you know, God says don't put anything before him, and it sounds to me like you have. And we need not to be. We need not to be. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it's written, For our God is a consuming fire, a consuming fire. The flood of fire is coming upon the earth, folks. All that evil that you're seeing, the flood of evil around you, it's all going to be burned up. The devil and his angels are going to be cast into the lake of fire, not before they're judged. And we have a part in that. You know, the Scripture tells us that, right? We will judge angels. And I think this is where we'll pick up next week, folks. Lord willing, of course. Peter reminds us of that, too. But as I wrap up, I'll leave you with the question that Peter left his readers with. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening, hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and righteousness? And that's what we're going to look at. That when I started this message, that's, that was my point. That's what I was going to build on. And the Lord took me to this other place, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm not going to resist you. I've resisted him in my life, and I know that's not a good place to be. You see, if we will question ourselves, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, righteousness, that'll turn our attention away from everything else. It'll put our focus on Him. It'll keep our focus on Him. You see, and that's that ongoing, keeping a short sin account, ongoing repentance to the Lord, turning to the Lord, changing your heart and your mind to Him. Okay, there's things that I've enjoyed in my life, and some of those things I shouldn't have. And I've turned from them. And God said, that's where I need to be. Now, some of those things maybe He's not convicted you of. Or maybe He is, and you're not listening. I'm not sure. But whatever it is, if you're outside of His will and you are His, He will either chastise you or He's going to let you go because that's what His Word says. And I certainly don't want to see anybody get let go. To be heavenly minded, it's my final thought, folks. To be heavenly minded is to focus on living for Almighty God and His Christ. To be heavenly minded is to be focused living for Him. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would root Your Word within us. Use us, Lord, to be Your people who are set apart from any and all darkness. Let us walk in Your light. Let us consider the question that Peter gives to the readers, Lord, and we have read this today, so it does apply to us. What manner of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness as we look forward to the coming day 
that you have proclaimed. Let us not walk in fear, but by faith. Let us recognize that it is your grace that allows us and enables us to resist the devil and know that he will flee. We've observed it personally in our lives and collectively in this body. We pray, Lord, for each one here. If there's anyone here, Lord, that needs your hand, I ask that you would bring them up off their seats and into the front of this building, and we will pray for them. I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.